Okay, so I think one of the more interesting experiences that I've had in Hong Kong was actually one of the first experiences that I had in Hong Kong. So I was here on a business trip while I was considering moving out here. And I was single, so I went on Tinder and I got matched up with a guy who I thought was quite good looking and he seemed quite professional. And so we met up for dinner at the Shangri-La. And I remember walking into the bar and thinking, oh, he looks quite nice. He seemed quite gentlemanly. We sat down and we started chatting. And probably about 10 minutes into the conversation, I looked at his fingers and I noticed that he had a ring on one of his fingers. I was like, are you married? Is that a wedding ring? And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. I mean, I'm not married at all. It's a, it's a family heirloom. It's, it's been in my family for decades and generations. And it's just something that the men in my family wear. And to be fair, it didn't look like a wedding ring, but it was still a ring on a finger. And so I was kind of giving him the side eye, but I'm like, all right, that's fine. Like, whatever. It's a date, not a big deal. And we just kept chatting and drinking and eating. And probably about half an hour later, he looks at me and he goes, all right, I feel like you're a really cool person and I don't want to lie to you. And I said, okay, go ahead. He goes, well, actually, I I am married. I said, well, you know, that would have been useful if you'd put that on your profile. Uh, What were you doing on Tinder in the first place? And he says, oh, well, you know, I'm French and and me and my wife, we have an arrangement. And, you know, I travel for business and she does not mind what I do. And and I have many friends in different parts of the world. I said, that's, that's very uh, open-minded, you know, of both of you, but, you know, that doesn't really work for me. So anyway, it was nice hanging out with you. But he's like, no, 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 let's hang out. We don't have to date or anything else. I just like your energy. So we keep talking and I want to know more about this open arrangement that he has with his wife. Because in my experience, open arrangements are only open as long as the wife doesn't know anything about it. So he goes on to tell me about how they've been married for ages. Um... They met while he was working as an inventor of sex toys. He holds uh, patents on several of the more popular sex toys that are out on the market, which I thought was a rather interesting profession for someone to have. And he had a factory uh, in Guangzhou that he visited that produced these sex toys. So anyway, him and his wife met during the course of his uh, forays into the sex toy world. And she apparently was a very open-minded woman and they were both swingers. I thought this is an awful lot of information to get on a first date, but go ahead. And he's telling me, you know, I can call my wife right now. You know, we can have a video chat so that, you know, you can get more comfortable. You know, we don't have to be together, but, you know, I feel like you're good people and we could just be good friends. And I'm like, (laughs) my friends, I don't meet them on Tinder, but that's all right, Jeff. So I'm like, all right, fine, you know, call your wife. Let's do this. Let's say hi to the missus. And he's like, well, yes, but, um, you know, the time zone uh, in Israel right now, it may not work. I said, okay, well, you know, in that case, I'm just going to leave. He's like, no, 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 no. But, but, but I really like black people. I'm like, okay, that's a weird thing to say. He goes, my wife likes black people too. I said, well, that's good to know. We should all like each other. He then proceeds to whip out his phone and shows me a picture Actually, it's not a picture. It's a video. I didn't realize what he was showing me. So I actually looked at it. Um, he goes, I will show you something. I'll prove it. I'll show you something. And I'm like, all right, fine. Show me something. So he hands me his phone and it's a video that's playing. And it takes me about three seconds to realize that it's a woman that is having sex, a lot of sex with several men at the same time. So as soon as I realized, I kind of, you know, kind of gave him back the phone. And I'm like, okay, what is this? Why are you showing me this? And he goes, that is my wife. I'm showing you, you know, we like the blacks. We like black people, you know. She likes the black men, I like the black women, we are open, it's not a problem. 
Welcome to Homegrown, the podcast where we aim to inform, inspire and entertain through personal stories of black expats. We're your hosts, Louisa and the Fantastic Foe. In today's episode, we speak to Tracy, a mother of two who moved to Hong Kong six years ago as a finance director of an international bank. We discuss the different expat communities in Hong Kong, getting your kids into school and a very interesting superpower. Let's get into it. Welcome, Tracy, and thank you so much for speaking to us. Pleasure to be here. So tell us a little bit about how you came to Hong Kong. Well, I was working for a multinational bank in London. I had an amazing boss who was very much a sponsor that kept giving me new opportunities. And we met up for coffee one day and we were just talking about, you know, what are the next steps going to be in your career? What are the opportunities that you have? Um, and she didn't really have anything going on in London. So, you know, she gets into the lift, the lift doors are almost about to close and she goes, oh my goodness, but you know, like if you could go to Hong Kong, it would be amazing. And and the lift doors were <laughs> closing. So I remember sort of putting my foot in the lift. So dramatic. And going, hang on a second, <laughs> let's have this conversation about Hong Kong. And she says, yeah, you know, I've got a senior role that's, that's going, but it, it's someone that needs to be willing to go to Hong Kong. And I know, you know, you're married and you have kids and all that stuff. So I didn't even think about mentioning it to you. I said, well, you know, screw the husband. <laughs> Tell me about the job. <laughs> so she told me, I mean, I was in the process of going through a divorce anyway, so really that was a non-starter. So she told me, she told me about the role. It sounded really exciting. This was in January. And I said, well, you know, my kids are still in school. I don't know if, you know, I haven't had an interview or anything else. She goes, listen, if I vouch for you, you'll get the job. Oh, wow. She goes, but why don't we do this where you start going to Hong Kong for two weeks a month mm. for the next six months? That gives you a chance to decide, you know, whether or not you're compatible with people that you're working with. You get to get a feel for the city. If summertime comes around and you decide that you want to make this a permanent thing, then we will properly relocate you. And I was like, yes. It sounds like an ideal thing. Yes, yes, yes. It was amazing. I mean, who knows what would have happened if I had let that lift just kind of close. And so, you know, sort of within a month, I was on a plane. Uh, coming to Hong Kong, booked to stay at Conrad. You know, I was there for two weeks and met my colleagues. I thought, this is amazing. Screw the husband that I'm staying. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Can I ask, yes. was this the two-week period in which you went on this awful Tinder date? Yes, it was, because I'm a multitasker. You know, one must keep themselves busy. <laughs> That's good that it didn't turn you off coming to Hong Kong then. No, no, not at all. I, I actually stayed in touch with Mr. We Like the Blacks because... Um, <laughs> He was the first person that took me on the NTR and he took me sightseeing. I never did get to speak to the wife, having said that. Um, but we remained good friends. Did he actually years. say the blacks? Do you think that do you think that, that was a language thing? Like because he was French or or that's just how the well, blacks I mean he was French. <laughs> okay. What, what can I say? I don't know. He didn't say black people, he just said the blacks. No, the no, black. no. There's something about the blacks. Well, I mean, to be fair, in the video with him and his missus and their friends, there were many of the blacks. So maybe he just thinks of black people in a plural. <laughs> it's difficult to tell with an accent, you know. Or maybe they're like a group that go around sleeping with there, there could be. And, this is actually and the group is called the blacks. The blacks. To be fair, he, he did tell me that because he loves the hip hop. So there's a lot of the okay. Okay. and he loves to go to the clubs that, you know, he's the one that goes and recruits the blacks. So oh. it, it could very well be just a group of guys called the blacks. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'll have to ask him next time. I'm oh sure. my goodness. I love how we just completely <laughs> sidetracked. We're going highbrow to lowbrow. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> so how in terms of the move, so how old are your kids? 
Well, son, and this was what six years ago that so, you were yes, coming so out. So this was six years ago. So my mm. son is now nineteen, and my daughter is now eleven. Okay. Yeah. Oh wow. So what was that like moving with? Obviously, so then a young teen and a properly little yes. one. Um, it was well, it was difficult, but it was also exciting. I think that with kids, you lie to them quite frankly. <laughs> uh, you tell them exactly what they need to know in order to get them to do what you want. So that was very much what I did. <laughs> Because, I mean, I thought Hong Kong was fabulous, but I think coming to Hong Kong as a single person, you know, staying at the Conrad, staying at the Shangri-La, you know, that's a very different experience than when you're actually going to be living here mm. and you have to worry about going to school and, mm. and having help and, and the mundane side of things, you know. So I just, I just really, you know, lied to them. I was like, you know, this place is like, it's amazing. You're going to come, you're going to have great friends, you're going to live like this five-star life, like, you know. Um, and they didn't really care. I mean, my daughter was a baby. She was only like four or five, so she didn't have a choice in the matter. Having said that, my son was, uh, what, 12? Uh, listen, forgive me, son, but your mother's brain cells are not quite what they were. <laughs> uh, he actually decided that he wasn't going to move to Hong Kong at the last minute. He wanted to stay in London uh, with my ex-husband. So, yeah, so my son ended up not moving to Hong Kong. So he came on holidays. He came out with us when we mm. moved and stayed for like a month or so. But he would always go back and forth. So it was myself and my daughter here. Wow. Okay. And the like to get into some of, I guess, as you called it, the mundane, was it easy to find like in terms of the schools and all of that type of stuff? What was that like? I, I think it can be quite difficult, but I was somewhat fortunate. One, because my boss had created this arrangement where I was actually spending half a month mm-hmm. in Hong Kong for about six months. So when I was on those visits, I would actually arrange to go and visit schools and talk to people. Ah. So I started creating relationships with the admission supervisors at a bunch of different schools. Yeah. Well in advance of when she would actually need to uh, come in. She was going to go in at year one. And in Hong Kong, the kids actually take exams. So they take exams when they finish nursery school. Each school, it's kind of like Nigeria, kind of like, I guess, a common entrance kind of thing. So you do the common entrance, but then, you know, so they don't have a common entrance, but it's like, if you want to go to Navy secondary school, you have to take the Navy exam. Mm. If you want to go to Atlantic College, you take the Atlantic College exam. Right. So each school has their own exams, which is quite interesting because they're five or six year olds. Yeah. And <laughs> she was still in London. So some of the schools that I would approach would say, well, you know, she's not physically here and she, she can't, can't take do the, the exams. exams and we can't even consider her. Yeah. I spoke to a bunch of schools. It basically came down to what was the education allowance that I had. Mm. Plus, Hong Kong also has a debenture system, which is unusual. I had never heard of that. that? Right. Uh, So the debenture system in Hong Kong is basically a bribe. There's (laughs) there's no other word for it. It So what, you donate to the school? Yes, it is is money that you... There are different types of debentures. Some of those are... They're returnable debentures. So it basically is a loan where you give the school a certain amount of money. Okay. And in exchange, they accept your child into the school. It's a bribe. There's no other word for it. In Nigeria, we call it connections. In Hong Kong, they call it debentures. So nice. most just phrasing. I, I, I know, know, right? I know. <laughs> alternative, alternative <laughs> facts, you know. And and so what ended up happening is that a lot of the schools that were on Hong Kong Island required ridiculous debentures, you know. Sure, so Hong Kong Island is the <laughs> white side, um, <laughs> and then there's everywhere else. So the, the the I would say that you've probably got you know Hong Kong Island, which is primarily expat. You got Kowloon, which is I would say a lot more business facing, a lot more middle class, um, a lot more dynamic. And then you have the new territories, which is a lot more green. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so if you love to hike, you're probably going to be somewhere in the new territories. 
So you have a hub in Kowloon Tong where you have a lot of international schools, primary schools, secondary schools, universities. And then across Hong Kong Island, you have a lot of what you would consider to be the typical international school, the British mm. international school, um, what they call the American international school, which is actually the Hong Kong international school, the French school, the rest of those. Mm. So the kinds of schools that expats go to and their kids go to are primarily going to be on Hong Kong Island. Although you also have some on Kowloon Tong. Mm. I very quickly realized that I wasn't playing around with the whole debenture system. I didn't have £50,000 to give any school. £50,000? Yes, 500000 Hong Kong debenture is the equivalent of £50,000. Some of those are returnable. So in theory, it's a loan that you give to the school and you get back at the end. Some of them are what they call depreciating debentures, where every year <laughs> they take a percentage of it. And by the time your kid leaves the school, you don't get the money back. That is wild. £50,000. I'm sorry, that's for a nursery primary school. So secondary what? school is an entirely different thing. £50,000. Yes, yes. And and you're talking about average school fees that will probably start anywhere from £20,000 to like £35,000. Um, so oh my that's the price range you're talking about. But any in any case, because I had the time to spend and visit admission directors, I was able to get her into the American International School in Kowloon Tong, right. which was fairly reasonable because they didn't request a debenture. a debenture and they returned my goals and that was pretty much the criteria and that's how she ended up going there for a year I, I, I kept her there for a year her Mandarin didn't progress very well there so oh, I took her out of the school okay. I put her into a more local international school okay. after that. and for you it was important that she learned absolutely I, I didn't I don't see the point in moving to a foreign country and leaving with absolutely no skills. Having mm. said that, I'm a complete illiterate in Cantonese, but I don't say it with any degree of pride. It's a source of shame. Mm. I didn't want my daughter to be in the same situation where she didn't pick up any Cantonese and she didn't pick up any Mandarin. Mm. So what I realized after a year in international school is she was having a great time. She had lots of play dates. She had lots of sleepovers. Mm. It was a very organic experience because the kids came from a similar background, but she literally knew nothing. Yeah. About the culture or the language or anything else of Hong Kong. So after a year, I moved her into Yuchang International, okay. which is a great international school, but it has a very Hong Kong ethos yeah. and they learn in a bilingual fashion. So they have lessons in English and they have lessons in Mandarin and then some kids also have in Cantonese. So that was what would be considered, I guess, more of a local international school, but certainly an exceptional international school. That's so interesting. Did you find anything different in the way that your daughter grew up based on that more Hong Kong? Yes, absolutely. So the play date stopped um, completely. <laughs> the invitations to the birthday parties were, were scarce. They were very thin oh, on the ground. Um, because I don't speak Cantonese, again, a source of shame. You know, you're, you're outside of the school gates, can't really communicate with the other parents very well. That creates blockers in, in terms of friendships. I, I don't believe that she felt isolated because when she moved to the school, she had two friends that were there. But they moved within about three months because the parents got transferred and oh, they went somewhere yeah. else. Typical Hong so Kong. I think that she went from being very comfortable and not really thinking about the fact that she was a black child in Hong Kong, even though at the American International School, there were maybe only about five black kids. But I don't think she thought about that. But once she moved into... Yu Chung, it was obvious that she was the only black child in the entire school. But I don't think on a day-to-day -day basis that was necessarily an issue. You know, she just had to up her game on her Mandarin, you know, very, very quickly. <laughs> and she had to learn to study a little bit differently. And, you know, she did a lot more after-school activities because she didn't necessarily have the same friend group. 
Um, let's talk a little bit about, because you, I guess, lightly already mentioned the differences between like Hong Kong Island versus mm. say Kowloon or, because I feel like the experience here, obviously we're talking, we're talking to black expats, you mm-hmm. know, Fu and I are expats ourselves, but I would speak for myself when I say I very rarely leave Hong Kong Island and that is not a great thing at all. I've already had some great adventures with you. Um, maybe <laughs> talk to us. <laughs> so what... Like, in your view, what is the vibe of Hong Kong? Is there a bunch of stuff we're all missing? And for our audience at home, maybe give a little bit of a summary of some sort of the different bits. Yes. So I guess I'll start off with a summary. I think that if you are coming to Hong Kong as an employee or a consultant or some sort of paid employment capacity, chances are you're going to end up on Hong Kong Island. Mm. The history of Hong Kong Island is this is where the white people lived. You obviously also had Chinese people, but pretty much all the streets are white names. Everything is Queen Victoria this, a Prince Albert that. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, it acts as the finance hub of the city. It acts as the legal hub of the city. I would say most of the professional types of multinational companies are based on Hong Kong Island. Mm-hmm. So by default, it's going to be where you land. It also is probably going to be one of the most expensive places yeah. to live. It's where you're going to find the expat communities. I'm not going to say the black expat community because that's almost non-existent. But <laughs> every other type of community you're going to find here. Almost non-existent in that there's not black people or there's not a black people community. So the, the, there are many black communities in Hong Kong. But in terms of the black expat community, I always joke that, you know, if you see five black people together on the island, that's it. They're going to deport all of us. And that's because <laughs> Because that represents the sum total of how many expats you have at any given point in time. Most expats that come here, especially black expats, are not coming as senior people in their organizations. They tend to be coming on short-term role rotations. So you will meet people that are here for six months, a year, maybe two years. But Mm -hmm. in terms of meeting people that actually live here and work for these multinationals, that's a very, very small community. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you'll have a German community, you'll have a French community, you have all of those other things. So Hong Kong Island is what it is. It, it is the first place you come to as a tourist. It's the first place you come to as an expat. It's an easy way to land and, and kind of fit in. You also tend to hear a lot more English. Yeah. Kowloon, which is actually the largest island that you have, is where I consider it to be sort of the heart of Hong mm-hmm. Kong. You know, mm-hmm. this is where you have, you know, TSD, uh, Choi. you know, this is where you have the money lenders, the people that sell gold, you know, every type of industry that you can think of is in Kowloon's side. It is the working class side. Yeah. It isn't necessarily cheaper, uh, at least not in TSC, actually. The real estate values in TSC are probably a bit higher than some parts on the island, just because you get a different type of tourist as well. Yeah. Mm. Um, so if you're not doing the five-star Shangri-La or Conrad life, what you are going to do if you're a tourist or backpacker that comes to Hong Kong is you're going to go and stay in a hostel or a guest house, or a cheaper hotel. And those will most likely be in the TST area in Kowloon. And so you have a hub of a lot of tourists, and you have a lot of um, people who work in, shall we say, alternative nighttime economies that are likely <laughs> to be based there. And I'm then, sorry, what was that? <laughs> alternative <laughs> nighttime economies. Yes, oh, what can I say? People, people, we all have to eat, so we'll leave it at that. Um, no, we're going to come back to that. <laughs> And then you have the new territories, which is, you know, I think if you were, for instance, so if you lived in London, to me, the new territories would be like Barnet, Watford, mm. you know, 
Be, okay, that's not like that. No bigger homes in Hong Kong. But, you know, it's more green. It's less dense. It's closer to the airport. You know, you have more of a community vibe. People live in, you know, these massive estates and they form these communities. If you were single, you die out there from boredom. Right. But if you were in a fairly stable relationship and you liked your husband and your kids liked you, then, you know, that's probably a very... <laughs> That's probably a very natural place. So if I were describing sort of the three pockets in Hong Kong, that's what it would be. Mm. Going back to your earlier question and uh, your fixation on the island... I would say I'm that. just lazy. I don't like to leave my house. I don't, That's I, all I it don't, is. Well, I don't I, like to be too far from home. Far be from me to argue with your inner <laughs> voice. You may very well just be lazy. Um, but I think I made a decision when I came to Hong Kong that I wanted to learn as much about it as possible. Mm. And I deliberately chose not to live on Hong Kong Island. I think I've only just moved to Hong Kong Island about a month ago. So I literally made a conscious decision. I was not going to live on Hong Kong Island. And I did that for a couple of reasons. One, I didn't really think I could afford to, mm. especially not as a parent that was coming with a family and needed mm. to make sure I had you know, at least a three-bed flat and all of that stuff. And second of all, I frankly didn't want to meet the Benidorm crowd here. I mean, I left London. Benidorm crowd. No, that I mean, like, let's be exa- real. That is exactly what it is. <laughs> so, My boss said Hong Kong is like Asia light. It's like it's like you're in, you're here, but you're not really here. Yeah, it's no, exactly it is very that. light. I mean, my, I mean, my dad's is different, but it didn't make sense to leave London and then come to Hong Kong and then hang out with the same people I didn't want to hang out with in London. So I made a conscious <laughs> choice to put myself in an area that was going to be more authentic. And like I said, sadly, I haven't picked up a lick of the lingo, but I <laughs> certainly enjoyed being stared at every day. And getting lost and not being able to ask for directions and not being able to shop and buy anything because I didn't know where I was going and there's no Amazon here and the rest of that. But that was a choice that I made. But I think that by doing that, I've had experiences across all of the different areas Mm -hmm. and, and they present different things. So if you are like most expats that comes to Hong Kong and someone tells you, oh, don't go to the dark side because Kowloon is referred to as the dark side, which apart from being incredibly racist is quite derogatory as well, you know. Mm-hmm. So the impression is that you're supposed to stay in this in this very white perimeter yeah. because there's nothing for you over there. It's dangerous, mm-hmm. it's dark, it's poor, the rest of that. I mean, it's wrong on so many levels. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're never going to find a Nigerian restaurant on Hong Kong Island. Oh, but yeah. I can take That's you to quite for sure. a few, you yeah. know, on the Kowloon side. You're never going to hear Afrobeats on Hong Kong Island, but I promise you that there's a number of places I can take you to where we can do that. You're never going to have a beach day with black families and sports days and half Chinese, half Indian, half Nigerian, you know, and that sort of mix of, mm. of a really diverse community of people on Hong Kong Island because we just don't exist Wait, here. you're saying to me that that exists on Kowloon, right? Absolutely. This, Kowloon I, and the New Territories. I've been in Hong Kong for over a year now. This is the first I'm hearing of this. I feel cheated. <laughs> well, don't, because you've met fabulous me. So <laughs> I, I shall lead you to the light. I'm not saying that it's all hunky-dory and great, because, again, you, you have different uh, different economic attainment levels, right? And this is, goes back to what you were saying earlier, that how you come to be in Hong Kong... Is the determinant how... of your experience in yeah. Hong Kong. And mm-hmm. I think if you don't make a conscious effort to learn about the other areas and interact with different groups of people, I think I alluded to the fact that, you know, you've got all, you've got these different enclaves and they all have their own vibe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so Saikung is an example. Saikung is where the, the old airport used to be near Saikung. So Saikung used to be an enclave for all the people that worked for the airlines, mm. you know, very hippie, dippy, very laid back, you know, terrible transportation, one road in, one road out, you know, like nobody else would live there, but they had a great time. 
you know, DB is a swinger set. That's that's where all the airline people. That's are what now. Discovery Bay. Yes, Discovery Bay, <laughs> Discovery Bay, which is also called Delivery Bay because you know you have the tie ties, the housewives that do lots of shopping, and, <laughs> and you know you just have these boxes that arrive every single day while their husbands. I'm being a bit sexist. I'm sure there's some female pilots, but generally speaking, that's a captive population of women with partners that tend to travel a lot. Mm. And so you know, I've never been invited to a sex party. <laughs> Still waiting for my invitation. <laughs> But, Me too, if you get one. Right? Like, but apparently, girls. if I was, it would be in DB. You know, Lama is the home of the teachers, you know, the hippies, the dippies, you know, they're playing drums on the beach. <laughs> they're imbibing all sorts of substances. It's a very come as you are kind of environment, you know. Park Island is like its own little private, you know, escape. You know, you could be anywhere in Phuket. You know, wow. still have a good time. You know, you go to Mong Kok, you probably feel like you're going to be robbed. No one's going to rob you, but it does feel like it because it's like a lot of legal. Yes. yes. Like you're in Balogun yes. Market. Something about having so many people close to you means danger. As in, you know, hold your pocket. And yet, yeah. you know, robberies hardly ever happen here. Mm. I mean, you, you can walk or actually up until quite recently, I have to say, this COVID thing is messing with us. Really? Yes. The, there was a, there's actually a video of two guys that ran into a train station with machetes. <gasps> I didn't know that they had machetes what? in Hong Kong. Yeah, this guy had a 200,000. Dollar uh, Rolex. Oh my god! I don't know if they were trying to hack it off his hand. Oh my god! Not. Yeah, this was in the news. Actually, this was a few days ago. Uh, but apparently, they were hacking at him with the machete, and they managed to get the watch off his hands, oh and they ran god. out. But all of this it was in the MTR, so you had all of it on on uh, CCTV, CCTV. And people were recording it, and that's not something that typically you would have ever heard of. In that is wild. Mm. Yes, so that's probably COVID related, I would think. But also, why is he wearing a th- two hundred thousand dollar whatever whatever and taking the MTR? Oh, I'm sorry, honey. Have you not paid attention to the watches, to the shoes, to the this is the five star life? Yeah. No, 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 no. People my point. Is, my point is because it's safe you live the five star life but why would you take the mtr but also i personally hate it's robbed. not about getting robbed also, it's, it's about it is efficient but it's also public transport but i kind of personally robbers. hate public transport so i definitely i'm not a rolex wearing kind of babe but i love me a taxi especially because transport is cheap here right. so i'm just like Oh, well, let me disabuse you of that. Public, I mean, public transportation here is exceptional. Yeah, you will it never, is. You it will is, never get robbed. You'll never you'll, get that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for the most Guys part, are coming with a machete for Yeah, I, this, this is an exception. That is I have crazy. To say, I have never heard of anything like that in all of my years being here. I've been perfectly comfortable taking public transport. Yeah. People are on the MTR wearing their Rolexes and their Audemars Pages and yeah. their Louis and all of that. Like, bring it all. It's Hong Kong. They're ready for it. I just feel like if I could afford that, in fact, I would pay someone to just carry me is around. It, just carry traffic. me on their head. It's, it's faster to go on the MTR. Eh, is yeah. it like they will run with me and on their head? Condition that comes regularly. I will yes. pay additional people to There's fan added me. Bonus if you're extra black, you will definitely oh, yeah, have people. space on the MTR because <laughs> people will make we'll space stand for up you on the MTR. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Why not take it? Yeah. But what are you saying about Mong Kok and that being, you know, you thinking that it's unsafe. Yes. It's because but in reality, everywhere it's safe. like in the West, that kind of place yes. seems would unsafe. would be so unsafe, yeah. the first time, my first ever trip to Hong Kong, I landed, I I needed a haircut. Mm-hmm. I Googled it. It told me to go to Chunking Mansion. To yes, Chunkies. absolutely. And I walked into that place and I was like, oh, I'm going to get robbed. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get stabbed. There was one corner. I was going up this dingy lift. Yes. I came out and it was dingy looking. I said, you didn't this. go and pee in the stairs, did you? No, I didn't pee in the stairs. Well done. <laughs> Wait, what? 
Okay, we'll come back to it. We'll put you off the restaurants. It it is a kind of place like, think about the grungiest council estate you've ever been to in in England. Absolutely. And then multiply that with people and heat. Something about the heat as well. Um, And it's it's, it's terrifying. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get this. This was a mistake. My mother's going to be furious that this is where I died because I had no (laughs) business being here. And then afterwards, you realize that, no, this is actually just you. You're the only one that thinks this because Mm. in the West, that looks dangerous. So would it surprise you to know that in terms of real estate, Chunking Mansion is is one of the most valuable real estate properties in Hong Kong? Oh, wow. Because of the hostels and the, the... Yes, because essentially what has happened is that most of the apartments there are have been subdivided into individual guest houses. But apart from that, there are a lot of businesses that exist in Chunking Mansions. So you have a lot of remittance businesses, Western mm. unions in the informal economy. You have restaurants, you have barbershops, you have therapists, you have sex workers, you have nightclubs. It, it, is, it is, you have grocery stores, um, you have massage therapists, you have jewelers. It, it is, if you think of Chunking Mansions as its own self-contained city, yeah, mm. that's exactly what it is. And in mm. terms of the amount of money that comes in and goes out of there, again, you know, some of it would be alternative nighttime economies and some <laughs> of it is, you know, taxable um, yeah. activity as well. Uh, but I would challenge you on why you felt uncomfortable when you walked into because I know what you're talking about when you walk into the ground floor chunking mansion it's quite wide it's quite open but it is primarily dominated by black people and southeast asian people mm. you hardly yeah. ever see a chinese person at least not on the ground floor chunking yeah. so I want to ask you why you were inherently uncomfortable it's more the structure so I grew up in a council flat in the UK. Okay. And that kind of building. Okay. So you felt going so around the, the dereliction and the, <laughs> go yeah. around the corner. Is you the lift working? You don't go tight around the corner. You take it. Yeah, you give it a wide lift. Okay. Yeah, I got you. I got it, you. It was that kind of, and the thing is, it's tall. Yeah, so it's mm. high up. You're going into a lift in one of those. Yeah, and you're, you know. Anything See, like, I had the opposite reaction because right. you know, growing up in Lagos and then spending some time in the UK and the States, I was like, I'm home. <laughs> <laughs> this, this just speaks to my just like, <laughs> Where's the planting? Looking at the bees. I know somewhere to build this. <laughs> and it's that. It is that. You could sometimes they'll they'll look at you and be like, "What are you looking for, bro?" And you'll be like, "Oh, I'm looking for a barber." Okay, there's one here. Listen. There's one here, and that person is selling. I don't know. I, I got a haircut in Mirado Mansions actually three days ago. Well, actually a trim to be fair um, at three o'clock in the morning. So listen, <laughs> like don't, don't play. Like they're working around the clock. Yeah. That's crazy. So alternative nighttime. In- <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, um, we had one episode or maybe it was just a chat between the two of us where we were talking about Wan Chai. So mm. um, Wan Chai is in Central and my visibility of black women were mostly in one check so it was always mm-hmm. that context and i felt like that was a bad pr thing but i've never had a conversation with any of those people Interesting. Um, i don't know anything about their stories <laughs> and how they got to be here and all that kind of stuff um well i i'm certainly not going to try and position myself as an authority on that but I, I i do know several of those women and i have had conversations about the backstories there um prostitution is is the oldest profession in the job. world in the world, right? And Hong Kong is no different. As a matter of fact, that prostitution is legal in Hong Kong, actually. I think, what? Yes, yes. Prostitution, I think, is actually legal. I think um, organizing prostitution is illegal, which is why a lot of the, the walk-ups that you have or the brothels, for lack of a better word, that you have in Wan Chai appear to be one woman in one room. Mm. 
mm. as opposed to, you know, sort of like a mama son that is managing everything. So I think the organization of prostitution is illegal, but actually mm. a woman but one choosing, on one. Yes, to sell I don't believe that is illegal. As far as that goes, it, there's an interesting paradox there when it comes to uh, prostitution in Hong Kong and the role of black women there. So the first thing is the reason why you see them outside is because the clubs do not allow them. Right. Okay. To go come in. in and- so in Wan Chai in particular, and I think Wan Chai is a great example because one of Wan Chai's <clears throat> claims to fame is that this is where you go for a happy ending and, mm. uh, you know, another happy ending, basically. So in Wan Chai, you will have the European prostitutes, you will have the Chinese prostitutes, you will have the other Asian prostitutes. There's a large contingent of Filipino prostitutes as well, and a large, a smaller population of Indonesian prostitutes. They are actually allowed to go into the bars and the clubs. Yeah. They have mm. arrangements. They have relationships with the managers and the rest of that where they can go and come, right? Black women do not have that opportunity. And I'm not going to say, I mean, there's a racist element to it as well. The paradox to that is you see them on the streets. So it looks like, oh my goodness, they're the lowest common denominator. They're on the streets. This is terrible. Having said that, when it comes to who gets paid the most for sexual services, it is actually black women in Hong Kong. Oh, really? wow. Yes. Which, which you wouldn't expect. Yeah. You're like they're on the street. Like whatever, you know, like they're not even in the clubs. Like why are they on the streets? Why are our sisters doing this? First of all, judge not lest you be judged. I think you do have to have yeah. conversations with people. Um, the ladies that I know that are prostitutes are exceptional women. They work very hard. I think prostitution is a very, very difficult job. They're generally supporting families here mm. and back home. And quite frankly speaking, you know, if most of them had an opportunity to do something else, they probably they would, would. Yeah. Mm. you know. Having said that, one of the reasons why they, they get to charge so much more is because they are a bit of an endangered species. There's not that many of them. Right. And, and so, yes, they earn, they earn more money than the average prostitutes. Um, they also tend to, there tends to be sort of an in-out, in-out. It's, it's not necessarily a fixed population of women. And it is a relatively small population of women as well. Um, you know, so they come, they make their money, they go home and they take care of their kids. So the next section of the podcast is the week in the life. And here we just want to understand what life is like for you here in Hong Kong, what a typical week looks like. Could you talk us through? Yes, I, I think I'm going to have to break it down into two parts because it was sort of the pre-COVID, <laughs> pre-COVID and post-COVID <laughs> week in the life. And then there's the sort of middle of the pandemic uh, week in the life. So, I, you know, pre-COVID, you know, very busy, you know, get up early in the morning, work out, wake up the little one, get her ready for school, drop off at school or have a helper take her to school. You know, I was about to ask that. Yeah, do you do I'm that not going to lie. Yeah, I'll do all of it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even try you know, but I, I would try and take her to school at least, you know, does your help two or three days you? a week. Um, yes. Okay. Yes, she does. And yeah, you know, then straight to work meetings, you know, you're in the office anywhere between eight hours, 12 hours a day. Anybody that's working in Hong Kong has to deal with the whole time zone issues. Mm. It's not unusual to be on calls until quite late at night. Although having said that, I did have the ability to manage my day, I think a bit more than most. But the challenge was generally getting off work in time to get home so I could read a bedtime story to my daughter or just give her a chance to tell me about her day. And, you know, I would say I'd probably manage to do that maybe two or three days a week. Mm. It definitely wasn't every day. I mean, mm. I just, you know, the reality is that as a working mother, you make those compromises and, and you keep your kids informed. So if I couldn't get home, I would let her know um, that I that I couldn't get home in time. But that, you know, I would take her to school the next morning and said to try and make it up to her. And so that would be sort of, you know, Monday to Friday, you know, Friday drinks, you know, go hang out at Fox Club, listen to some live music, 
hang out with a partner and some friends get bladdered and have a good time, you know, Saturday, <laughs> you know, maybe take her to the beach. Uh, and Sunday, at some point I used to go to church. I don't do that anymore. Um, so Sunday usually is just sort of family day at home. We cook, mm. we hang out, we swim, we relax, we do the sauna, we play games and, and just chill. And I, and I think that pre-COVID life was pretty cool. Now that COVID is here and uh, socializing is... Uh, <clears throat> Not allowed. <laughs> and my daughter is now in school in Singapore. I mean, my weeks, and I'm also, you know, sort of on a life sabbatical phase as well. You know, I'm still getting up early in the morning because I've been trained to do that. I get up, I go hiking, I go walking, I go jogging. I can now pretend I'm a Thai Thai. <laughs> yeah, so I reach out to, to my female friends who are, you know, housewives or who have more flexible schedules and, and we'll go and have, you know, a champagne brunch or whatever else. I love and, it. Uh, and then Netflix and chill. There's not a whole lot else to do right now at this point in time because we're so restricted in terms of what we can actually do. Mm. So we're not going to go into the quick fire round. So this Ooh. is just a bunch of super chill questions i say super chill but we will judge you if we don't like your answers um i will run through them so you guys okay um first question tinder or bumble i not sure what bumble is fantastic that's the best answer we've had so far (laughs) um (laughs) if you could pick a superpower what would it be a penis Wow. <laughs> wow. What now now? Is this like a penis that can appear and disappear when you want it to? Or just I just want an add-on penis that I can leverage whenever I want to. Oh fun. Can we talk logistics? So like it would be like a handheld penis like no. attached to No, you? no, no. I want one above the vagina. I want a penis. You so you want no in addition to so not Yeah, yeah. Of... I mean why choose one? Why not have both? Huh. Fun. Okay. Yes, I, I think that would be awesome. Um, yeah, that would change would, my life. How would that? Ch- how would that work? I would, would mess up this whole world. <laughs> 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 oh man, I'd have a party. Yo. <laughs> Sorry, that's my superpower. <laughs> okay. Um, what other languages can you speak other than English? I can speak Yoruba, possibly, unlike <clears throat> some people here. Wow, he came for. Shame. A fantastic fool. <laughs> um, if you had to delete all but three apps on your phone, what would you keep? I would keep LinkedIn. I would keep WhatsApp, and I'd keep probably my calendar app. Ah, professional. Leader. No, calendar doesn't count because that comes with the phone. No, that that's just an essential tool. Um, it's the additional stuff that you put onto it afterwards. Same so. Tinder. <laughs> oh no i don't i don't have tinder anymore after those experiences I, I, I did get a boyfriend so i left tinder behind besides it's all this is useless people here no, no, no. um no that would be it i don't i don't do a lot on my phone so linkedin i don't even like facebook i don't like instagram so none of that stuff maybe like a graphic editing app or something because i do love a selfie so okay yeah um what was the last book you read Wild Swans. Wild Swans. What's that about? Wild Swans is actually, it's a riveting story. It's about three generations of Chinese women from sort of the early 1900s. So a grandmother, a mother, and then the author herself. So it basically is a biographical novel. I listened to it as an audiobook, actually, that goes through basically the life and times of these women. And it starts off with the grandmother who actually was a concubine who had bound feet 
And really? who was sort of given to a warlord when she was very young, really? you know, and forced to sort of get married and be that other woman. And then the mother character actually becomes a member sort of of the Communist Party when she's 15. So, so her progression in life is very much aligned with the progression of the Communist Party. And then the daughter, who's the person who's actually writing the book, is one of the first people that had an opportunity since the Communist Party came into power to actually study English in China and also in the UK. And so it's a multi-generational saga, but it also gives you a really good uh, narrative about what life was like in mainland China from the 1900s up until sort of the 1990s. Right. What was the title of that again? The title of the book is called Wild Swans. By... Uh, I think it's Julia Chung. Uh, Don't quote me. We'll put it on our Instagram. Yes. Um, And then next question is... If you had a time machine, would you go into the past or into the future? I definitely go in the future. The past has sucked for most women. I, I just I want to fast forward to the point where you know we're using men as sex slaves and you know women are running the world. So yeah, the future. Oh, so that's what you think is going to happen going I'm, forward. I'm just letting you know what your future is going to look like. But you know, <laughs> sorry you for you. Ask. <laughs> sex to be sex slave. <laughs> I like the sex part. It's, well, the, slave, it's the slave bit that I, I'm struggling with. You know what? It's all in your mind. If you don't think you're a slave, you're not a slave. Just think of it as fringe benefits and no work. Mm. I can sell you on this if you keep talking, I promise. Okay, we'll come back to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is a screensaver wallpaper on your phone? Ah, my kids, my offspring, my next generation, my love children. Awesome. Um, and last one. If you had to teach class on any one thing, what would it be? Standing out for yourself. Yes. Yes. I, I think owning your own proactivity. I think not shying away from who you are. You know, if someone says you're aggressive, say, I'm actually really aggressive. I'm just being aggressive right now. Uh, you know, I, I think just kind of owning who you are and, and not being apologetic. I tell my daughter all the time, the world will make room for you. You're not going mm-hmm. to conform to the world. So I think owning your own voice and and just being really clear about who you are. Now you're going to pay a price, obviously, especially if you don't conform, but you do need to own your own voice and have your own perspectives and, and don't back down. You are who you are. You're perfectly made the way you are and the parts that are not perfect, you can work on them. But yes, definitely speaking up for yourself and just being who you are. Tracy, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. It's been a great conversation. Thank um, you for having me. So normally we'd get our guest socials. Do you have an Instagram you want to share? I know you're not massively active on there. Yeah, I'm not very active, but I'll give it anyway, just in case anyone is like incredibly bored. Uh, So (laughs) (laughs) I am am on Instagram and it's T-A-D underscore L-A-L-A. Okay. So awesome. Tad Lala. Tad Lala. Love it. We'll tag you on our Instagram anyway. Yes. There you we'll go. So if I get a spike in followers, I'll be like, oh my God, I've made it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for listening at home and speak to you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to Homegrown. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. Please rate us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram. It all really helps.